Welcome, everyone, to episode number eight of Off the Shelf, a podcast that looks at what it means to be a true follower of Jesus, specifically in the context of Scripture and the message of William Branham. With me today is my esteemed co-host, Rod Bergen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever it is you are listening to us. We literally have listeners from around the globe, and we are so happy to have you as part of our conversation today. Today, we are actually coming to you from three different time zones. We are, Rod, and you know we've had some fantastic guests join us over the last few episodes, and today's is no exception. Joining us on this edition of Off the Shelf is James Rozak, the author of MorningMercy.com. If you're not familiar with the website, it's a resource for former followers of William Branham. What I really like about Morning Mercy is that it's very pastoral in nature, and that, James, comes from your background as a former minister at Edmonton Living Word Fellowship, which was a message, which is a message church, rather, in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Yes, he was a pastor, Rod, and that really comes across in the tone of his site. It has a very compassionate, healing tone, and I, I love it. Well, let's bring him in and get started. Welcome, James. Hello, hello. Nice to be here. Nice to uh, be with both of you, who I, I've known through the years, and I'm, I just feel honored to have been asked to participate in uh, what you guys are doing here. We're really glad to have you here, James. You know, we started off, we asked most people the same question. How did you come into the message? Well, it was uh, uh, probably similar to uh, a lot of people that, uh, you know, they, they, they're born into the message, and uh, that, that was my, my case. My parents were uh, message believers in the 1970s, so they... They uh, they had a lot of influence around them, uh, with their own family being in the message. And uh, my grandmother was a very staunch uh, message believer, very passionate woman who uh, a lovely person. But, you know, she she was just oozed passion for the message. And so I was exposed to it, uh, you know, from the time of my birth. Um, my dad was instrumental in in the message in Edmonton being spread. Uh, they, in fact, had the very first uh, message church in Edmonton was uh, run out of my grandmother's. My grandmother, who was a Ukrainian Orthodox, she allowed them to gather in her basement and they, they began. Uh, that's where the church in Edmonton basically began. And uh, I'm not sure what year that was, but, you know, it was early 1970s, I would suspect. And I was born in 1977. So I was born right into that. And uh, um, yeah, you know, I, w I probably was considered a, uh, a risk being born in 1977 by what we know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But my parents, um, you know, they, they forged ahead in the message and uh, they actually ended up leaving the message when I was approximately eight years old. I, you know, I don't know the exact age I was, but I always say about eight years old and they were kind of the collateral damage of a church split, which uh, was a frequent event, you know, throughout the message. And uh, so I actually had a span of time where I wasn't uh, in the message, but I yet, you know, because of the the extended family that was in the message, I was always around it. It was always, you know, visiting my grandmother and she being passionate the way she was, she would, uh, I can't recall a time of visiting her where she, it didn't turn into listening to her telling stories of, of brother Branham and, and, and her experiences and, and that sort of thing. So it was always there. Um, and then, myself having grown up around it as a younger child you know you're you're around those rules and the and and that lifestyle and so it was very ingrained into me uh, and so it was very confusing to be pulled out of a message church 
So I, you know, I, I was trying to maintain, I always say I was like trying to maintain the, the lifestyle without understanding, you know, I had a, I, there's a lot of fear attached to it. You know, the discipline of addressing certain ways and my parents actually held on to it for a period of time. The rules, they never went to a, a denominational church or anything. They just stopped going. And so I was very confused growing up. Um, and it ended up being that when I was uh, somewhat older, I think I was uh, 18, 19, I was very depressed because uh, I was trying to uphold. I don't know what it was, but I was very convicted of, you know, I couldn't I couldn't do the things the other kids were doing um, because I still was holding on to these rules. And it wasn't that my parents were really enforcing them, but, you know, it was so deeply ingrained. And, I you know, I kind of have a perspective that... Uh, as a child, you know, those first early years of being raised under under legalism, it, it really puts an impact on on who you are. So uh, I, I mean, I struggled all through my teens and everything. And and by the time I got to about 21 years old, I mean, um, the immense pressure that I was feeling from my grandmother in particular. I mean, she even went so far as to tell me that if my parents were going to be saved, that my parents were going to come back to the message, it was up to me. And so I uh, I was I was like compelled to change something in my life. And at 21 years old, I circumstances just kind of aligned and I found myself calling up a relative who was in uh, one of the local churches in Edmonton. I, I said, can I come to church? And that was the first time I went. It was in 1998. And uh, yeah. I never stopped. <laughs> it was intense how I, I went in. Uh, it, it was like putting on a glove almost because uh, because I had fought within myself. You know, I, I mean, I didn't drink. I didn't swear. I didn't do anything. I wasn't a Christian. Uh, I didn't do any of those things. And yet I wasn't a message believer or anything. So when I went to a message church, it was like I was home. It was these people didn't drink, smoke, swear, do any of these things. So I just thought, wow, like I fit in. This is the first time I felt I fit in. And so I, I when I went in, I I went in hard. I went in hard. So you were you were raised in a message environment, yes. but you didn't go to church. No, in a message church as a kid. I, well, I did till I was about eight years old. Eight years, and then and then your parents left. Yes, and that's when they there was a you know it was probably in the aftermath a couple of years after there was a, a major church split and you know there was a lot of people involved. My family was involved. Half half my family went to one church, half went to the other, and the things that the ministry were saying about you know the about each other, um, you know my parents, my dad actually was very conflicted because you know he didn't understand the way the message was presented, we were supposed to be, you know, uh, um, exude love and harmony and brotherhood. And, and yet, you know, in the morning he would go to one church <laughs> and he would listen to the minister berate the other church. And then in the evening they would go to the other church and they would listen to that church berate the other church. And it, it finally, he just said, I don't know what this is, but this isn't good and I'm out of here. And that shut him down, you know, and he was, uh, yeah. So I, I was around it till eight years old and, you know, so eight years being in the message as a child, you know, living by those strict rules, you know, it really had an impact on me. I can definitely say that. Yep. So when James, when you went through that period of turmoil, uh, there was no other option for you when, when you needed somewhere to go, it was going to be the message. Why do you, why do you think that was? 
Well, in fact, um, I'll, like I'll give you a little story. I, I didn't understand who William Branham was. I mean, my grandmother could tell me stories of it, but I didn't understand the profoundness of the doctrine or, you know, I just knew that he was this miraculous man, you know, and so, um, but I didn't understand. I didn't, I never even heard the term denomination. It didn't, it wasn't in my vernacular. So um, there was an occasion where I was, um, I don't know, 19 years old or something. And I was feeling very compelled to go to church. And there was a schoolmate of mine who had invited me to go to church. And um, I told my mom, I told my mom, I said, uh, uh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to go to church with this girl from school. And it was just a, an Assemblies of God church just down the road. And my mom, even though she had been away from the message all those years. I mean, um, she hadn't had the privilege of, you know, understanding what the message was from the view that we have now as, as ex-believers. She didn't, she wasn't aware of problems. She was more or less forced out of the church. Um, so even though she didn't go and she could see there was issues, she didn't understand. So she still had a fear of denominations or any other church. So in fact, when, when I told her, I'm going to go to this church, this denominational church, my mom said, well, you know what Brother Bram says about denominations? <laughs> I, I, didn't have, I didn't have a clue. So I went, I, I, there was something that transpired where, you know, this girl kind of got me thinking like, well, does she go, you know, her behavior didn't model what, you know, I had been raised around and what my grandmother would do. And so I went home and I ended up reading, um, going down to the basement. My dad had all his message books. I pulled out questions and answers and I started reading about denominations. And that was all I had to go on. Uh, all, all I heard was, you know, I read that William Branham said denominations are bad. And my that's all I had to draw from. And so I thought, well, denominations must be bad. And so that's where I pretty much decided, well, if I'm going to go to church, I may as well go to a message church because... That seems to be the only option. That's kind of more or less how it yeah, yeah. transpired. Yep. That as if I could interject, um, that's kind of where with my kids growing up, I want to talk to them about what I saw, what I know. Um, my parents never said a word. The day we left church as a child, they never told us why. They never talked to us about anything. All those years, nothing. And so the the vacuum of, that's kind of why I struggled for years. You know, I didn't understand what it was that... Um, you know, that was going on in the, between denominations, between the message, I had nothing to go from. So when I wanted to go back to church, my parents couldn't speak up and say, well, you know, you should think about this. You should think about that. They never had the information for one. I do. So I can now communicate. I think it's important for anybody to talk to their kids, you know, just to inform them. It's not even to tell them you can't do this. It's just to say, well, you should know. And this is this is stuff that I learned. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Very important. So you arrived in a message church and you found yourself feeling at home. Yes. You were attracted to the people because it agreed with your conception of what church was supposed to be like? Absolutely. I mean, my mother, after we left the message, my mother had um, maintained that legalistic uh, view. So for years after, even though not going to a message church for years, she, she would wear a dress. She wouldn't cut her hair for years. And so, you know, you look up to your mother, 
she epitomized a woman to me. And so that's kind of how I viewed. I always leaned that way. I always thought, well, that's the way. No reason. No, no, no doctrinal reason. No, nothing. It was just that's how that's how my grandmother dressed. That's how my mother dressed. And so um, and yeah, when you're when you're in growing up in, in high school and, and whatnot, you get to see the you know, you, you get to see what other kids are like and, you know, you, you get the good and the bad and you can't make heads or tails of a lot of things. So, you know, it seemed like the people in the message, because I would get together with them at say Christmas time and, uh, you know, they would sit around and, you know, they, they were lovely people. They, they truly were, they were, and you'd see their, their standard and their dress. And, you know, it was appealing to me. It, it seemed like, well, that, that's nice. It's wholesome. It's, it, it seems good. And that's, that's all I had to go by was just my perception and my emotions. So, you know, uh, it, it was attractive to me. It definitely was. Yeah. yeah. So how long were you in the message? Uh, so if I mean, those eight years as a child, it's hard to count those in a way um, because because I didn't understand the message. I was just under the influence of it. Um, but when I came, I was 21 years old when I came into the message um, and I was, I think it was about a total of 15 years that I was as an adult. So, I mean, if you count it all together, you know, right around 23 years, but really it was around my, it was around me my whole life. You know, um, even when I wasn't in a message church, I was, you know, I was always around that influence. It was always there. So I, I was what, 35, 35 when I left 35, 36. So how did you come to be a minister in the message? Well, given my my circumstance of, you know, being out in in the world and and then and then coming into the message. And like I said earlier, I kind of came in full blast. Um, And this is something I didn't realize at the time. But when, you know, it wasn't that they had a lot of converts. I mean, in the time that I was in the message, you didn't see too many new people walking through the doors. And and then whenever somebody new did come in, it was, you know, there was a stir in the crowd, you know, because there was somebody new. And and so when I came in, I mean, new blood was exciting, you know, and especially for me when I came in, I embraced it immediately. Um, uh, and, you know, I had numerous people tell me that in the first two years that I was in the message, like I had grown spiritually faster than anyone they had seen. So, you know, people, um, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it. They kind of hold up certain people as kind of a, uh, a marker, you know, of, you know, this is who we should be striving to be or, you know, and you had certain pillars in the church. And so I, for what I didn't realize it was happening to me, but I was definitely being kind of propped up, uh, as a bit of a figure in the young people, because I was so fervent. And I mean, when I, when I came in, I, I would, I would read endlessly uh, message books. I would listen to tapes endlessly. I don't think I missed a church service for, you know, three years. Um, and, and, and because I was seeing the lack of enthusiasm in other people, um, you know, because the other young people had grown up in this and it was maybe stale to them. It, you know, there wasn't a fire in them and there was a fire in me because what I had come through to where I was. And so uh, I, I was immediately, you know, within a year or two, I was leading Sunday school and um, then I was um, song leading. And, and the, uh, of course I felt a, a passion in me to, you know, to kind of exhort my peers 
And I think that I never had a supernatural event, you know, like I've, I've heard other people that was actually something that bothered me because I didn't have a voice coming from heaven telling me that, you know, I should, I didn't have a light appear to me. It wasn't anything like that. It was just a desire to contribute. And I remember praying, you know, I'm available, use me. I want to be used. And so I, I went on a mission trip early as a young, as a young man uh, to the Ukraine, uh, accompanying my pastor and men like Lonnie Jenkins and um, Jason Watkins and different ones like that. And so it, I was, uh, I was around it. Um, I was eager to do something. And then, uh, I, I can say I wasn't very good at it when I started. I was reluctant. I'm an introvert, so it's very against my nature, but, um, by, by the fourth year in the message, um, I just couldn't get away from it. My pastor had asked me on more than one occasion, like to speak. And so I started to do it. And, uh, I started leading youth camps, um, young people services, and that kind of thing. And the next thing you're being invited to other churches and other places and other countries. And so it, it kind of built up that way. So I, I know I mean, you, you were a fervent believer. Yes. And one of the things that always disturbs me is it's kind of a little bit about, uh, of sour grapes, but it's very common for people that are still in the message to say about people that's left, that have left. Yeah. You never really believed the message. <laughs> how, how, how do you react to something like that? I mean, it's not it's not pride or anything like that, but um, I I threw myself into it. I did. Um, like I said, I don't think I missed a church service for two. I was, in fact, I, I got to the point where I was a little bit critical of of other people because they didn't come to church every service, you know, they were going, the young people were going skiing on a, on a weekend and they, you know, they, they would leave on a Friday and they wouldn't come back on a Saturday night, you know, because churches on Sunday, you know, and I, I, I was, I had a message book wherever I went. I, I, I would rush out at lunch when I was at work. I would, at lunch, I would run to my car, pop in a tape and I'd listen the whole time, you know, hours and hours and hours. I loved it. I did. There was no doubt, you know, so you're kind of like Paul, who said he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You were a believer of the message believer. I, I, I feel like I was. I, I don't feel like there was any point where even right up to the very end, I don't feel like I was pretending or posturing or putting anything on. I even when I began to see problems, per se, um, my intention was I'm going to fix this. I'm for my for the well-being of my church, of my family. I'm I'm going to fix this. I, I want I don't want to. um you know, I, I'd, I'd see other people questioning. And, and so I would dig in a little bit deeper because I didn't want to see them hurting or confused or so. Yeah. I, to suggest that I didn't believe it. Yeah. I kind of concur with what you said. It, it, it hurts a bit. It's a bit insulting. Um, but there's no way to convey that amount of passion that I had, um, you know, because we're at, we're on a different path now, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the leaving was a struggle, you know, because I believe it so much. It hurt. It hurt so much. It was agony. You know, those last, the, the, the last uh, few months was agony. And even after we left, it was agony. <laughs> it was brutal. You know, yeah, you felt shattered, you know, because I, it's pretty common. Yeah, I didn't want it. You know, I didn't want this. And here I was, you know, on the outside. And you mentioned, uh, 
watching other people question and wanting to dig in for their sake. Was was that what started your journey out or was it something else? In hindsight, there were warning signs. There was things that, you know, I was, you know, always kind of contending with internally. But yeah, that you know, those were some of the first things that were uh, that were going on was, you know, I, I recall very specific events like uh, Rod, your son and I were very good friends. Um, I don't know if you mind me mentioning names or anything, no, but no, no, I, I yeah. have no problems. Okay. Yeah. So Jake and I were very good friends. Um, and I recall one day going out to uh, Red Robins after it was a restaurant here in Edmonton after a service. And, you know, we were sitting around there was actually a couple other deacons at the table and there was a comment. It was just kind of a passing conversation where there was a comment alluding to the fact that, you know, that we are the bride and it's only the bride that's going to make the rapture. And, you know, it was just a, you know, a conversation and uh, (laughs) out of nowhere, Jake piped up and I remember his first words. He said, I don't know about that. (laughs) And it was a shock to me because, you know, I didn't know where that came from or what he was thinking or why he said it. Um, And so, I mean, there was a immediate discomfort that occurred, but that, you know, that began to lead to conversations and it wasn't, in fact, um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Jake then beginning to bombard me with, with things. It was me becoming aware that there was something going on. And that's where I began to be introduced to, um, some of the things that were going on a little bit. I had another friend who was in church who became privy to some discussions that were happening with some other people. And it was a kind of a discussion forum thing. And I got invited into it as a minister. I was kind of, uh, peeping into a conversation that felt like of, you know, people just asking questions. There was in one way, it was completely harmless. There was a, a few other ministers that were there and they were just asking questions. And I think you were a part of that rod at that time. And so I just observed, I was just observing, kind of soaking it in, trying to find answers in my own self. And, and, um, it, it was, it was definitely challenging at the time. It, it feels like being slapped across the face a little bit because you're one big happy family. And then somebody throws a question <laughs> into the mix and, and begin. And, and as we now know, uh, questions aren't comfortable things within the message and it wasn't comfortable for me, but, um, yeah, it, it started something. Definitely. I had a lot of other stories. Well, I was going to also elaborate just a little bit. There was some other, you know, there was, there was always some questions that bothered me through the years. And, um, as far as my journey, you know, kind of out of the message, I think in hindsight, there was little things that I wasn't aware that were bothering me as they were. Um, for example, I, w- I always had the question why we didn't see ourselves as a, d- a denomination. Um, and I, so I kind of had a view, like there's something a little bit wrong with, with like, why aren't we a denomination? Why, why aren't we? Because it seems like we are. It, it <laughs> yeah, sure seems. It sure seems. I mean, yeah. I mean, by any definition, normal definition, the message is a denomination. There's no question. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you, I, I would read a quote from William Brown and basically saying like, a, you know, when a, when a, 
I think it's in the church age book, uh, the Ephesian church age, where he says, you know, you take a group of people, they, they, they have a revival going on and then they begin asking, you know, how they can protect this truth that they have. And then they start building up the walls and, and they put a kind of a period behind it to protect it. And they put it all in a manual and that sort of thing. And then, you know, William Brown says, then they organize and then they die. And so I was like, that sounds a whole lot like us. <laughs> and yeah, it bothered me. Things like that bothered me. So I would take five services in a row, you know, about why we're not a denomination. And I was doing it because I felt other people had questions too about stuff like that. So, you know, I would dwell on those things because they didn't seem to be clear in a lot of regards, you know, and, you know, no, no law, but love, no book, but the Bible, no creed, but Christ. Really? You know, stuff like that bothered me and I look for answers on them. And, and yeah, so there was a lot of converging issues and it, yeah, it began to stir something in me and then the questions began to come and yeah, it, you know, I, I didn't ignore them. I didn't feel like I, as a minister, I didn't feel like I could ignore them. I didn't think I should ignore them because if there was a legitimate question and my friend Jake has a question, well, <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, we try to keep these episodes to a half an hour or so for the sake of our listeners. So we're going to bring this one to a close and we will continue our conversation in our next episode. James, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. My pleasure. And for all our listeners, please come back next week to hear our continued conversation with James Rozak, the author of MorningMercy.com. If you'd like to send us an email, there's a link on offtheshelf.life or you can email me directly at brian at offtheshelf.life. That's brian with a Y. And the off-the-shelf website also contains a comment section after each podcast. Just click on the title, and it will take you to the page for that specific episode. The comment section is at the bottom of the page. Have a great week, everyone. And I'd like to say, if you've got any questions, please feel free to send us an email. Leave a comment. We've got a question we're going to deal with either next episode or the one after that. Let us know what's uh, really on your hearts. And if you have any questions, please let us know. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.